other clones roll Or we just sit around and get stoned I am a clone, why don't you leave me alone In my plastic world in our fadeaway zone It's the only place I, I call home I wonder as I wander Whatever happened to the time When people could see with their minds I wonder as I wander down the line I wonder as I wander down the line Episode 6 of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. Today we have Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast. After doing the interview and uh, thinking about uh, preparing the show, I thought of a song from uh, a few years back called I Am a Clone by ESO, Einstein's Secret Orchestra. That's why I played that intro music. You know, the idea being not to be a clone and um, to live a unique and individual life. And Jack teaches this. This is what he talks about. This is what he does on a daily basis on his podcast. Um, I'll have uh, plenty of notes, uh, show notes and links and things to him. But really, you just need to go to his site. It's all laid out there for you would highly recommend uh, subscribing to his show um, and getting on board with what he's teaching. He, he really can help make uh, this a better world and, um, and improve your life. He really brings the passion and, um, you know, he's a bit of a showman and uh, <clears throat> he's a bit of a throwback, you know, he uses a bit of a an FM voice on occasion. Um, he's got a great ego. Um, it's it's out there, but it's he keeps it in check. You know he's um he's real. Uh, so my kind of guy. Um, he's definitely uh, geeked out, guru, and an experimenter using some uh, experimental gardening techniques. Um, you know, when he's speaking to the lunatic fringe, you know, in a way, some of these people, but he's drawing them back into the fray, into the fold, and uh, teaching a path so that you don't have to live in paranoia and fear if um, times get tough. If you prepare um, and listen to him, you live, you know, you, you live the good life, and he teaches preparedness. Um, like he says in his show title, you know, it's helping you live the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't. Uh, it's perfect. Um, just living a, living the life you want. So I think that's it. I mean, with that, I would like to say I say a lot of stupid shit. You know, my brain, I, you know, I wish I was the god of my own brain and mouth. I, I'd say dumb shit 
all the time in these conversations with people, but I'm not going to edit it out. The only editing I'll do is if I just have a, a complete breakdown of my faculties and I just go into a pause and I, I just can't recover. And um, so if there's a long pause or something, you know, I'll, I'll edit that out. But I'm just going to leave in all the, all the stupid crap I say. Maybe it'll be funny. Not funny to me, but maybe some funny to someone else. I think that's it. And uh, let's get to this awesome interview with an incredible man, Jack Spierka. Welcome to another edition of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. You know, I'm always looking for geeks, gurus, experimenters, and we hit another trifecta here. We got we have Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast, and he seriously covers all three of these and a hell of a lot more um, on his podcast and blog. He's an amazing resource. He's wise beyond his years. Um, seriously, the guy is, he's a guru, mentor, educator. He's the whole, he's the whole ball of wax. Um, I think he says his, uh, his mission is, you know, helping you live the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't. Welcome to the show, Jack Spearco. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. And you, you left out one of my things I do there. I'm also chief bottle washer at my office. Awesome. Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> Wife promoted me. Oh, Okay. And what kind of bottles are you washing over there? Whatever's dirty. Okay, anything. All right. <laughs> Whatever I'm told to. Okay. Oh, that's a great, great answer. I got to write that down. <laughs> Whatever I'm told to. So tell us, you know, what the hell you're doing over there at that survival podcast? Um, trying to change America by changing people as individuals. That's is all. Really, it's the it's that's the subversive, it. <laughs> uh, evil plot. You know. Uh-huh. To, to do things that are crazy, to take over the world, like get a garden in every backyard, get people to kill trees that uh, that produce nothing and put in trees that produce something, mm-hmm. get people to take responsibility for their own lives, the lives of their children, uh, to get people to have some plan if things go wrong so that they can take care of themselves instead of expecting somebody else to do it for them. Uh, to be good members of their communities, to know their constitutional uh, protected rights, to know their rights and responsibilities as citizens. You know, just kooky, crazy stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah. you're not the, uh, you're not the, how should I say it, the Michael Rupert when you know the end's coming and so you just, no. you exist in depression and make a movie called Collapse. No, I, uh, in fact, I did a show today that was called uh, Passion, Persistence, and Planning Always Beat Paranoia. Wonderful. And, and it's my view that um, the most important thing that people can do in their lives is to start planning. And I mean plan your life, plan your future, plan your redundancy, plan your property. The soon, as soon as you start planning, you start engaging with the future. As soon as you engage with the future, you have uh, uh, passion and hope. And you know that what you do matters and things take over. It's kind of like, if you ever watched The Dog Whisperer with uh, the guy Caesar Milan, he talks about how the dog gets locked into a certain state and they have to break that state and get the dog moving so he'll act like a dog. And I think that, I'm not saying people are dogs, but we, I think they get in the same state. They get locked up 
and a focus on the present and the past. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're locked into that state, you're a miserable person. And then you look for somebody to blame and whoever whoever's convenient is who you blame. And then you stay miserable and it's easy to take things like the end is coming and go, yeah, yeah great. I'm ready for the end. Mm-hmm. People that are passionate aren't ready for the end. They're ready for transitions. They're ready for uh, shifts. And they find great opportunity. I mean, I'm not saying everything's going to be great and super and wonderful. Uh, we're going to have some pretty tough times come our way for a variety of reasons. But the person with prepared uh, preparedness mindset uh, finds opportunity in those situations. Yeah, that that's awesome. I <laughs> it was so funny. The reason I found you, I was just noodling around on the internet. I'm always looking for the kooky, weird people on the edge, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was I typed in survival list, I think, actually, looking for, you know, the real weirdos or whatever, and it landed <laughs> on your site. And I was really expecting some good juicy stuff about yeah. economic collapse and, you know, really It's you know, all edgy, over, yeah. you're gonna die. And then I got in there children, I, right? I listened to a few episodes, I read your tenets, I read you know, and I said, Oh man, this guy's completely badass and normal. <laughs> that sucks, you know. So I've never really been called normal by anybody. Before. I mean, yeah. compared to what I was looking for. That's... I know I had a psychiatrist on the show, though, right? And I said, "Would you, as a medical professional, say <laughs> that I'm not crazy?" <laughs> he, he didn't have an answer. He's like, "Well, um, uh, uh, I think we're all crazy." Okay, you know? yeah, right, right. Sure, we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you, you know, you're teaching gardening. I mean, that's. As far as survival, I mean, that's everything. That's it's just basics. Uh, a lot of the things you cover really inspire. Can you tell people like some of the things, some of the other, you know, um, what you're working on, some of your current projects? Yeah, I mean, I I've always been really big into the food production side of things, and I've always taken that to be more important than the guns and gear because I've been in a handful of fights in my life. Uh, when I was in the military, I was shot at one time. We were somewhere we weren't supposed to be shot at, but I've had to eat and feed myself uh, three days a week, or three days, three times a day, mm-hmm. every day of the week, every week of the year for my entire life. Once I got old enough to not be a baby and be fed anymore, and then before that, somebody had to do it for me. Mm-hmm. And I figure I'll be eating every day of my life until the day that I die. And uh, when you stop eating, those two things kind of go together. So food's a huge thing. So I've been working on a lot of stuff with my property. I've been putting in culture beds and swale systems and ponds, and we're kind of like on this, like on the hardscape construction right now, so that we're ready to plant into going into next spring. And we're basically turning our whole front yard into kind of a mix of a garden slash food forest. Uh, so that's taken up a lot of my effort in the last couple of weeks, anyway. And I've uh, been, you know, digging digging ditches with uh, with a matlock and uh, and a shovel, and uh, mm-hmm. trying to take a few more X's off my uh, shirt size. And uh, I think I've been living that lifestyle for a while. And I know you're into the paleo stuff. When I had you on my show, I was like, cool, you know, because I didn't even know we were going to talk about that. And uh, over the last year, basically, I've shed about 75 pounds uh, by by changing my dietary uh, intake, not in calories at all, just in the class. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying certain things I'm not going to eat anymore. And yeah. it's worked beautifully. So a lot of the stuff I'm building into infrastructure now is designed to produce food that meets that kind of criteria. Yeah. So back to your, your I think it's your first tenet um, about improving your life. Would you equate going, I don't know if you call yourself paleo. Who cares about the word? Just call it paleo. Yeah. Would you consider that a big, uh, important in improving your life? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think my wife was probably afraid I was going to be dead at 45 with a heart attack the way I was going. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got very, very comfortable in the professional world uh, making money and doing client entertainment and going out every night and drinking and all that other stuff. And um, when I left that life, it took me a while to leave that habit. Uh, It becomes part of who and what you are. And it's very, very seductive because it, it feels good when you're doing it. So and you were you were literally a, a fat cat. I was a fat cat. I yeah. was a literal fat cat. Yeah, I was I was drinking you know seventy dollar bottles of wine and 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 stuff like that. And uh, the wine was fine, but you know the bread and cheese that went with it. Even the cheese was probably okay, but the bread was uh, <laughs> bread was a problem. And when you're living that lifestyle, you don't even think about what you put in your mouth, right? You're out with a client, they order something, you eat it. And, uh, you know, you're not happy either. So you, you, you yeah, this is what I've been trying to teach people for years. When you're not happy, you cling to things or actions or functions to fill your happiness. Um, by making that shift, it, one, forced me to go back to the things that made me happy before I was living that lifestyle. And it, two, made me physically able to enjoy them again. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, <clears throat> you feel the benefit when you're out there, you know, digging with your matlock and doing this yeah. work. Is it? Yeah, I mean, I was out there yesterday, and I dug this ditch, and I thought, man, a year ago, I would have been laying on the couch after doing this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it really wasn't even that big a deal. The, the the first one was brutal because of the amount of – I mean, I put a video up on it. If you guys look at it, it the, some of the rocks I, were pulling out, I was pulling out, they probably weighed like 100-pound 100 boulders I was yanking out of this ditch. Uh, second one, man, I just breezed through it, and I was thinking – you know, it feels so much better to be able to do this stuff now. Yeah. And, uh, and I could do all – the thing was, and this is part of why it was a big problem for me, I could carry the weight. I mean, I looked heavy, but I, I, I was carrying way more weight than I think even people that would call me fat realized. And I was able to function. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do all this stuff. And uh, I think that is actually a lot worse because you convince yourself there's yeah, no yeah. problem. Can, you know? I'm fat but fit. I'm yeah. fat but let's and take strong a hike. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm fat but let's take a hike and you'll be sucking wind. Mm-hmm. You know? And you feel like, well, that justifies it, but it really doesn't. Yeah, that like, exercise you're doing there, moving rocks and things, you know, yeah. some people would debate that's the finest exercise of all. That's I, I believe that. I'm not big on the one, two, three, four crap. I mean, I got enough of that in the Army and the old-timers. And When you're 19, the old-timer in the Army is 29. Uh, old timers in the army notoriously had rotator cuff injuries, knee injuries, and, and a lot of that. You know, and these aren't guys that were all infantry people either. These are guys that are mechanics and cooks and stuff have these injuries. And I think it's a lot of repetitive motion <laughs> yeah. that causes yeah. that. Are you familiar with Art Devaney? No, no, he's a he's a paleo dude. He's he's a I don't know. I think he's in his seventies. He came up with this idea like on his own like thirty five years ago. But um, for exercise, he pushes his Land Rover around, pushes and pulls it. And what he says is it's, it's pulling the bison out of a ditch. Yeah. That's what, that's what that exercise is. And that's, it's also that's no what he impact. does. It's no impact. And my big thing is it's not repetitive motion because the body's position is going to be in a constant state of flux and change. When we sit there and do a push-up, and then you get all these these fitness gurus. Oh, if you do a proper push up, it doesn't matter what yeah. you're doing. Mm-hmm. The body's in the exact same position, doing the exact same motion mm-hmm. over and over and over. And no animal does that. Yeah. No human being did that 200 years ago. Isn't that what kills us at work? Isn't that what it's carpal tunnel, dude? Yeah, I mean, and not only that, but our mind. Correct. You know, this this the, what we do that makes us comfortable, or where we stick within the rules. That's what's that's what destroys us. 
Rules are for idiots. I'm going to write a book one day called that. Rules are for idiots. Now, there's rules and then there's real rules. So real rules are things like you don't go punch somebody in the face mm-hmm. or like the law of gravity. You, you drop shit, it falls. Those, yeah. those are legitimate rules. And if you get hit by a car, it hurts and you die. So there's, mm-hmm. those, those rules are a different kind of rule. When I say mm-hmm. rules are for idiots, I mean the rules that you believe you have to follow to, to, to jump. Like you have to work until you're 65 or you have to contribute to maximum your 401k or you have to buy a new car. You have to live <laughs> in a neighborhood. Yeah. All, this other, all these rules. And then like you go into a workplace, you say, well, I have to follow the rules at work or it will fire me. Well, if those rules are counter to what you actually get joy in your life out of, maybe you need to find a new place to work. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know that's not, not – it doesn't work for everybody, especially right away. But at least start thinking along those lines and see what you can come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe get inspired to start some sideline project, get involved in some, in some, you know, anything. If I followed the rules, I wouldn't have done episode eight hundred and nine of the Survival Podcast this morning. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if I followed the rules, the people listening to my show, I, I, I've figured out to this point about three thousand gardens have been planted uh, from people that have found the show and decided they were going to do that. Wow. So it's three thousand gardens that don't happen because I follow the rules. Um, my other show that I do on business, I know there's at least a good 50 people that are out blogging and setting up and building their own businesses. I follow the rules. That doesn't happen. And all those people mm-hmm. are breaking the rules too. Yeah. And that, that's my goal is complete anarchy in regard to the stupid rules. People just ignore them. Um, you know, you can't have to have grass in your front yard. Oh, the hell with that. Plant a, plant a cherry tree and, you know, some strawberries and stuff like that. And when the neighborhood association complains, go plant all your neighbor's yards too. Just gorilla garden the whole damn place. And then they can <laughs> go nuts with it, you know? Yeah, right, right. I love it. Yeah, you just mentioned episode 809. I mean, you've done 809 episodes. You, that's dedication. It seems just like yesterday it was 800. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am dedicated because I love it. You know, and I'm passionate about it. And the whole thing started, I used to do it in my car with a little MP3 recorder. And I had this hour-long drive up to, to where my business was every day. And I'd listen to talk radio and go, these people are idiots. And then next thing I know, I'm having an argument with Glenn Beck. Mm-hmm. No one's listening except the guy looking at me next to me in the car. And he thinks I'm crazy. And I go, I don't care if he thinks I'm crazy, but nobody can hear me. Um, so in 2008, I decided to start doing the show. And uh, I had like, you know, after a month, I had like three people listening to it. And mm-hmm. then after like the first six months, we had like a couple thousand. And, and now it's about 30,000. We had like 29,000 and some odd downloads yesterday uh, for just yesterday's show. Um, and wow. I think it's not me. <laughs> wow. It's that yeah. what I'm saying is what people want. You know, I'm telling people not what's wrong, but what they can do. And I think that's what people really want to know. They want to know, what can I do? How can I make a difference for me? And, you know, political activism is great and calling your congressman and holding up signs and going on. And some of that stuff needs to happen. But the reality is that stuff is mostly in your circle of uh, concern, the things you care about. Very little of it's in your circle of influence. And if you want to change your life, then you got to focus on the stuff you actually can touch and control and do something about. Otherwise, you're just angry. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you don't have you don't have an answer to anything. You either just get confused, dispassionate, or you can come out with straight anger. Yeah, I and anger's fine as long as it takes you somewhere. Yeah, if it's a motivator, it's same as, same as same thing as fear. You Correct. can live in fear or you can use fear. 
You if, know? if fear is, here comes a car, holy crap, I better move, mm-hmm. good fear. If yeah. fear is, I might fail if I act, I better stay put, bad fear. And I mean, yeah. all, you can like go a million permutations of either one of them, but it's almost always the case that the, the bad fear is a paralyzing, stagnating fear, and a good fear is a positive, motivating movement fear. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you jump out of a flaming building into, you know, a street that's yeah. 10 stories below. I mean, we can't get ridiculous with analogy, but, you know, in right, most right. instances, it's the things that the things that paralyze you are, are the, the, the evil fears. Mm-hmm. And then the things that motivate you are healthy fears. The things that motivate you are healthy anger. I mean, if you're angry about hunger in the world, well, go feed some people. Mm-hmm. Don't get pissed off and ask somebody else to do it. All right. Well, then what about... What about Occupy Wall Street? You have angry people. You have people taking it to the street, but you're not on board, are you? No, I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Because if I walk up to those people and say, what do you want, I'm going to get 20 different answers from 20 different people. Mm-hmm. And some of them I'm going to be very much in agreement with. Some of them I'm going to be very much opposed to. And some of them I'm going to think I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And, and that's fine for individuals. If you're going to put a movement together and you're going to put that many people out into a street – you better know what the hell you – what would make you happy, right? So if I walked up and just asked the crowd said, what actions could be taken? You guys would all go home and go back to your life and feel like you had a victory. They don't know. Yeah, the, the list would be – if there was 100 people, the list would be 100 items long. It might be 1,000. Yeah, right, right. I mean, right? at I mean, minimum, right. Things. And, 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 no, and they just start arguing with each other. See, the danger there to me, Brian, is that when you get that many people that angry in a situation like that, and they don't know what will make them happy, sooner or later, somebody will show up and tell them what makes them happy, and they become very susceptible to that manipulation, and they also become very susceptible to being pushed across the edge. Now, we can say all the stuff about it being peaceful so far, mm-hmm. and to be fair, the authorities have been the ones to bring violence to the equation, but the situation is such that if it goes on long enough and these people don't figure out what they want soon enough, it will be very easy for someone in authority to push it to violence uses an excuse and we'll get more of what those people don't want so it's not that i don't respect the person or the the noble things that some of them are bringing up college tuition loans i mean if they were all out there and they said that's our unifying thing right now this is the first thing we want to solve is the way that people have been forced into these loans tricked into these loans uh manipulated lied to and we want this fixed great but Okay, and the Fed, and the student loans, corporate greed. I mean, that just – each one of those people could do more for themselves in their own lives than they'll ever accomplish. I wish it was better organized. And it might yeah. turn – here's the thing. We're going to get to a point now where it's starting to morph. And it's either going to be, become a really positive force or a really negative force. I just don't know where it's going to go yet. Yeah, yeah. Interesting takes. Yeah, I was – for me, from my perspective – um, it's coming from the place where I don't know if you've ever read the book Life Inc. by Douglas Rushkoff. Haven't. He tells the the whole history of uh, um, corporations going way back to the feudal kingdoms and serfdom and all that, and how corporations came to be and how we're basically corporate slaves. But anyways, um, he talks about um, alternative currencies and how every sustainable society had alternative currencies. And so I was thinking with Occupy Wall Street, so like you were saying, everyone has their angle. You've got a thousand people there, and they all have 1,000 different things they want. Well, then why don't they get themselves together and create their own economy? 
if whenever you have a thousand people with different interests, needs, and wants, and gifts to you know things to offer, that's a little micro economy right there. Why don't they just get online? These people are all active, you know, and, and engaged. Why don't they just say, "Hey, I'm a baker." Oh yeah, you're a fisherman. Well, guess what? You know, I don't. Why, yeah, why bitch? Why bitch about your place? Uh, why? You're not going to stop the federal government or change corporations or corporate personhood. Here's why that group can't bring you what you want. Most of them aren't fishermen or bakers or whatever. They have no idea what they are. And and part of why they're angry, especially the college-age ones, is, and this is to be fair to these kids, we have to understand why they're pissed. They did what they were told to do. Go to school, get good grades, get a degree. And now they've gotten their degree in bitterness studies yeah. or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And they owe sixty grand or a hundred grand, and nobody wants to hire them. Yeah, well, I used some really stupid ancient biblical analogies there. I should have said, you know, this guy's a, a web designer, this Got guy's you. a marketer, marketing guru. You know, and they may be th- able to do some stuff like that. I mean, and put some things together. A local, you know, obviously half those kids ha- are tech savvy, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Build a marketplace online for local artists, or, or you know, I don't, who know what do I know? They might be doing this, but I just don't know about it. I'm not well, keyed it, into it. It is kind of sad when you see them protesting corporate greed while they Facebook pictures and do it on an iPhone. <laughs> right, and, right. and that's where I think they lose some credibility with people. People go, "Well, you don't want corporation." Well, Apple's cool. Yeah. Apple's doing all the things that any major corporation does. Sure, sure. you know, and I mean, sometimes possibly potentially worse than others right i mean um and then you know most of these kids i think have cars and they want to come down on exxon and i'm not saying they're friends to the earth or anything but you put jelly beans in your car or castle (laughs) you know right and and i I think that the the problem there is it's, it's not that these kids are completely wrong it's they don't know what to do with themselves and again, that's my fear. When you don't know what to do with yourself, but you have energy, mm-hmm. sooner or later, some opportunistic force will tell you what to do with yourself. And if you've been angered enough and convinced long enough that there is no future, you may listen to the voice mm-hmm. and you become a pawn. These kids will not be the rooks and the knights and the kings and the queens on the chess set. They will be used as pawns mm-hmm. by one side or the other. And it's just waiting to see who that's going to be. Do you have some, like, um, to go along with that, do you have some action strategies? Do you have, like, a step one, step two? Go home and, I mean, easy. Go home and plant a garden. Grow some of your own food. Take some control over that. Um, As far as changing the government, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that a big part of it, I I do like barter currencies. I think there's a lot that can be done with that. I think that what people fail to understand is there's nothing that prevents us from doing it other than taxation. Taxation is the sword by which the currency is enforced because your government will only accept taxes in dollars, right? So if you and I come up with the, the, the Brian bill, right, mm-hmm. and we're going to use the Brian Davis bills, that's great. But sooner or later, i got to convert out to pay my taxes and right. because you just don't pay your taxes, but there's a problem with that. Yeah, even if you barter, you're supposed to pay the tax in cash Correct. dollars, right? I'm all for underground bartering as much as we can. I mean, if you if you and I trade peppers for tomatoes, as far as I'm concerned, it's equivalent for equivalent. Neither one of us profited, right? So right. there's yeah. tax anyway. But uh, if I thought that I got a better deal, I'm not going to go, hey, man, Brian was dumb. He gave me $5 extra tomatoes. Uh, IRS, here's your buck. <laughs> right, right. right. So I'm all for as much of that as we can. I think that the big change, though, has to come – 
it, all of this political activism is expecting change from a top-down arrangement. We'll make new laws. We'll make new systems. We'll, and, 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 you know, it's, it's short-sighted because the people that are in power will just take the laws and use them to their own end. Most of the problems we have today are not due to law, the lack of a law, but the enforcement selectively of a law. If I'm in the business of making knives and I have lots of money and you want to start up a knife-making company, I want as many regulations in place as possible. I don't care if it costs me more money. I just care that you don't become an effective competitor. Now, the knife industry, that's not really the case, but in the you know food industry. In food. Right? Think of dairy. I, I know. Um, energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in, all the big industries, all of these laws suppress people. So to think that we could fix it with new laws is, is insane. We have to fix it as individuals. So people have to take responsibility in their own life, take responsibility for their own head. I mean, this is why I do survivalism, right? So survival, if you go in wilderness survival training, you said, Jack, take me out in the woods, teach me to survive. I'd say, okay, first thing we're going to start with your five primary needs, food, shelter, energy, security, and water. And we're going to have to make sure that we can provide those for ourselves. Well, the reason most people are slaves to corporations aren't because corporations are evil slave masters. It's because they depend on corporations for those five things. And they pay for them a la carte. So we pay our electric bill monthly. We pay our food bill weekly. We take no responsibility for either on our own. So the reason we're a slave to the job is because, well, we want the survival needs. So if we build our lives by systematizing these, and we don't necessarily have to be 100% self-sufficient, but if we take up various levels of of self-sufficiency percentage-wise, over time we free ourselves from the system, and then we start to actually look at the system and go, not everything about the system is bad. It's dependence that's bad. There's a lot of good Mm -hmm. stuff. I don't know about you, I like my iPhone. Right? I can say bad things about Apple and good things about Apple, but overall, the iPhone is cool. I like it. <laughs> I like the fact that you and I right now can talk to thousands of people sitting on our butts using the Internet, mm-hmm. and we don't need a, pri- a pirate radio station like we would have needed just 20 years ago to get a message out. I like technology. I like the future. I like the stuff that's here. I don't like dependence on it. And if we can get to a point where we're providing at least half or the majority of the things we need, then we can take from the system that which we choose to. And I don't mean take like be a drain on the system. We're actually a functioning component of the system then, but we're there by choice. And I think that most people that are angry, whether they're angry at Democrats or Republicans or corporations or radicals or whatever, whoever they're angry at, they're not really angry at any of these things. They're angry at themselves And they're projecting that anger elsewhere because they don't have control in their own lives. That doesn't mean there's not some evil shit out there. I mean, (laughs) I could go on for days Mm -hmm. about why that company shouldn't even exist. Mm -hmm. But that's actually like they're in like a class of what I call the evil bastard club that a lot of these other corporations really aren't in. Um, they go. Monsanto goes with the banking layer with me, right? You want somebody I'm angry at? It's this elite banking layer that creates the money out of thin air and steals it from you and I by sucking value from the existing money into the new money and keeping some of it. That's that's an issue. But most of these other companies people are angry about. Well, you know, they employ twenty, thirty, forty thousand people. Walmart's a perfect example. People say they're evil, but they employ more Americans than any other company in America. And I've known people that have worked at Walmart for like 20 years that are like truck drivers for Walmart, and they could call 
people that are on the board of directors on their cell phone directly and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And you got to give some credit where credit is due. And if you work for Walmart for 20 years and you put your retirement in Walmart stock through their program, you're probably going to be better off 20 years from now, starting today, than a lot of people working for city governments. Because your pension is going to be nothing yeah, in that. If, yeah, if your city exists in the future. If right? your city exists in the future, at least yeah. in current form. I mean, there's there's your next powder keg, dude. You're going to see cities and counties all over this, all mm. over the country. Yeah. Not so much next year, but following year and the year after, just start to go off like little mushroom clouds all over the place. Yeah, if anyone wants a little that to that point, episode eight oh seven was awesome. Thank you. What we can expect in two thousand twelve. Um, you actually talked a little bit about Cleveland in there, which is funny because that's where I live. And yeah. uh, you're talking about the bulldozing of homes and, you know, the free, yeah. to eliminate this, you know, these structures that are, they're of no use and they're an actual detriment. And uh, I work with a guy, well, I don't work with him. He's a friend of mine, Maurice. He does the podcast with me occasionally. But um, he's, his whole life is built around those lots. He um, puts in um, straw bale gardens. Oh, awesome. And he's an educator in this. Um, he does everywhere. He's, he, his big project is in Youngstown, which is the worst. You think Detroit's bad? Cleveland's <laughs> bad? Youngstown's been there 10 years. Yeah. You know, they were, <laughs> they've been bad since bad was born. But they, so he started there. He's got the Strubble Gardens. And I went to some of his meetings. He does, he teaches the marketing. He ta- teaches entrepreneurship. The actual gardening, the building of the bales, how to use the worms, the whole thing. It's, it's, he's, well, see, and you ask me what people can do. That one guy is doing more than 10,000 occupiers. Yeah, right? yeah. He really is. If you want to look at, you talk about having a local economy. Yeah. Grow food in your city. Yep. Sell it to other people in your city. That will create an economy. Once you have an economy, what happens? Other businesses grow up and do what? Support that emerging economy. Those spawn other... We can literally transform the economy of this country by taking these vacant houses and growing food where they used to stand. Yeah, they take the old house and they push it into the basement. They just knock it right down into the ground. And if you ever go on one of these sites, I mean, it is amazingly toxic. There's It's everything in there. The TVs, the lead, the paint, the whole thing is down in the basement now. And they just put down uh, carbon layers. That Morris just comes in and just brings in the carbon, you know, and tries to build some isolation from that, and build a new whole world up above, up above that toxicity. But you should see some of the insane arguments people give against this. The gardens are in their way, and people have to walk around them to get to work. But the gardens are being... Someone actually used this as an argument. The gardens are in the way and they block the natural paths of people. Cutting through your neighbor's yard. That's what you're telling me. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. But it was so amazing to go to Youngstown and see these community gardens. There's one on every block. That's awesome. And there's people walking from block to block to block. And these whole neighborhoods, people are coming out of their homes. And you sit down on the straw bale, which I love about the straw bale gardening. You sit down. You sit down and talk to a neighbor. And I talked to some of the people there and believe me i'm not i don't look like i belong there um <laughs> I'm, uh, me and my three kids we stick out a, a little bit in that neighborhood for sure so well, yeah, I, it's I about love community and you know a lot of the things that you're into you should see there are some some amazing things going on in these cities 
And, and those things give me hope. What you guys are doing there, the urban farming guys in St. Louis, I mean, those guys are making a huge difference. They've basically changed the crime rate of a neighborhood by showing up and planting stuff. You know, I mean, and there's there's so much of this going on, and it does give me hope. And, I mean, Bill Mollison, the co-founder of Perma, the permaculture movement, has said that the future of permaculture is in the, the urban-suburban settings, that the, the true urban area is too dense and there's not enough space. And then the, 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 the countryside, which is where most of us want to live, is great, but it, there's not enough manpower in one location. It's the suburbs and the urban burbs where all these little plots of land can exist to support the people right where they live. You yeah. know, even if I do it with permaculture out on my five acres, you got to move the food in, where if you do it in town, the food is there. And you're right. Whenever you put these gardens in, they become community focal points. They become meeting places. And then, you know, you want to make a change. Gee, if we just talk to our freaking neighbors, you know. Um, back in the 1800s, before the Civil War, when the government was going to do something, and the men would talk about it in taverns, they didn't even discuss whether or not it was a good idea before they had the first discussion with, are they allowed to do this? Is this constitutional? What does that have to do with gardens? Well, you, the way you get any kind of conversations for people to get together, where what we get now is like we have like urban prisons, right? People go home and they close their door and they don't want to see anybody. Anymore, <laughs> yeah. Right? So if you want to get conversations like that going again in America, we got to put people in touch with each other again. You put food in a place, people show up, they eat it, and they talk to each other. Um, you know, that's how I became a fat cat was because that's what you do when clients come into town. You feed them, right? Well, feed them tomatoes and peppers instead of uh, uh, buttered bread, and, and and you get you know two benefits instead of one. Yeah, uh, food uh, is it's a powerful tool. It's an it's like it's the technology. Like, to, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's ancient. It's the it's it's the thing. It that's. Yeah, start there, I guess. Then where do you well, go? The problem is it's huge because people are worried about the environment. And they're worried about cars. Modern agriculture is doing more to harm our environment than motor cars. Um, the number one export in the United States today is topsoil by tonnage. We're, we're, we're throwing all this fertilizer on the ground. The ground is dead. There's no life in the soil. The life of the soil is what feeds us. We're literally you know, crapping in our own pool is yeah. what we're doing at this point. And only technology, right, if you want to call it technology, has allowed us to get away with this for so long. But there's a limit to what that technology can do. And there's an unlimited result that can be had if we put this back into a natural state. And that doesn't mean a bunch of airy-fairy crap. That means understanding that soil has to be alive. And, and it, you know, so it starts with a community garden. But to me, it needs to get much bigger. It needs mm -hmm. to become, instead of alternative agriculture, it needs to be what mainstream agri agriculture becomes. Yeah, I'll leave the community gardens to the Maurice's of the world because I tried to join ours and I got kicked out. I, I lasted like three days. And the local tyrant, she she rolled in, she saw my straw bales, and she said, what the hell are those? And I said, they're straw bales. I know, what are they doing in your garden plot? What? I said, it's flooded. Whoever has been here has never amended this soil. This is just old highway dirt. So we're yeah. on where where they push the major interstate through, where 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 they cut that through. It's just that it's all it's all the debris and they, they just, it's an old field, and people are growing vegetables in this. It, it, it's it's lifeless, you know. So I'm um, building strawberry gardens. You said no, no, you're not putting those in here. It'll look like a farm over here. That'd be terrible. If I was like, just like, yeah. what? It's at the edge 
of a, of a suburban neighborhood, pinned up against a major interstate, and I had got kicked out for having straw bales in there. I didn't know whether to stay and fight and take it to the limit and just say, no, I just walked. I just took yeah. my straw bales and got the hell out of there. <laughs> I mean, can, so I'm kind of one of these guys. I don't go talk to the neighbors. I've got my worm bin set up in the backyard now, and yeah. I talk to them. I compost. <laughs> worms. I talk, I'm a they're probably more intelligent than all your average They're neighbor. geniuses. They know what to do. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, so I move my, uh, I do vermicomposting in the basement, but I was inspired by Maurice. He does his outside, even here in Northeast Ohio. Sure. So I moved it all outside, and we'll see how it goes. I'm going to give it a shot. I vermicompost in my garden. Yeah. yeah. So what I do is I just really ensure I have a great worm population, and mm-hmm. I don't even compost anymore. I take my, my kitchen scraps out yeah. to my garden. I pull the mulch back and I throw a couple scraps and I throw the mulch and I just yeah. spread that out all over the place. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is you go back, like you throw a banana peel on top of a garbage can or even on top of a compost pile, it'll be there for weeks. Mm-hmm. Brown and oogie. You go back like a day and a half later after you throw a banana peel underneath uh, a mulch uh, in a garden, it's gone. Yeah. And it's right to the soil, you know. But I do like vermicomposting as well. I just that's, well, I, that's I, kind of I, my approach. Is that just, is what we're doing. I mean, I, I learned this from Maurice. His his worm beds. That's his food source. He grows. You know. His oh, garden, I got you. His gardens are in those. His whole backyard is full. His whole front yard is full. I mean, he's way out of code. Uh, <laughs> he's you know he would be kicked out of the city. Uh, you know they would have stopped him. But he actually brings in um, agri tourism. People awesome. actually come in to see his little plot, his urban plot, because it's just teeming with life. But yeah, that's exactly what we're doing: taking the food scraps from the kitchen and from your neighbors and wherever else, and putting it in there. Great stuff. Cool. Well, let me move. Let me move into something I know nothing about, and okay. I actually haven't heard you talk about it yet um, too much. Weapons, guns. Okay. Yeah, um, I talk about it probably once every other month or so. And like in the last couple of months, I had like this uh, crazy idea that we weren't doing enough interviews. So I put out like a call for people to be on the show for interviews. And like we got like way too many people. So a lot of my standalone shows were kind of shelved for a few months. So I talked about it even less. But I think it's obviously a very important thing that uh, we exercise our rights and, and all of our rights. So when you were in school, they probably said, Brian, now when you grow up and turn 18, you need to go register to vote. And you need to vote because if you don't exercise your right to vote, they could take away your right to vote someday. Mm-hmm. Well, I say the same thing about your right to own and keep and bear arms, that you better go do it or they might take it away someday. And the more people we have well-armed and responsibly armed, the the more likely we are to preserve that right. I think it's a hugely important thing. For me, guns are not just about self-defense, though. They're also for hunting uh, and gathering meat. So they, they, they serve those dual roles, and I do enjoy it. I get a lot of pleasure out of just walking, especially now. I can walk out my back door, set some stuff up, pull out one of my ARs and go to town. And that's, that is a lot of fun and a lot of enjoyment there. But the reason I don't talk about it that much. Yeah, I was actually surprised. That's why I mentioned it, because I, I've been yeah. listening for a while, and I haven't heard you talk about them. So. I mean, if you want a show that does reviews of the latest guns, there's like a billion of them. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of shows on TV. They, they talk about the newest guns and training methods and all this other stuff. So to me, that's covered. 
right? People are teaching people anything they want to know about that. So I'll talk about it once in a while, and I can go deep into it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's almost an it's almost a uh, not an elitist topic, but it's a it's a very narrow niche. And I don't think it actually appeals to my broad audience if I go too deep into specifics. Sure. So once in a while, I'll do a show like that. And just like some people don't really appeal to the permaculture stuff, those people can pick a different show on a different day. Uh, but if I did it all the time, then it would become like the gun show. And it's right, not a gun right. show. It's a modern survival show. Mm -hmm. But definitely it's part of my tenants. You need to have a gun. You need to know how to use it. Uh, you need to have a good supply of ammo. You need to train with it. And, you know, we're heading for some tough times. And when you get tough times, the scum become scummier. And I believe that if you come to try to harm me and my family, then I will make you a member of the Horizontal Dirt Nap Society for Life. <laughs> and if anybody doesn't like that, there's yeah. a very simple solution. Don't, in the middle of the night, come to my house mm -hmm. and try to harm me or my family and take my stuff. Mm -hmm. And I will never harm you. Right. And in my entire 40 years, I've never shot anybody. I've never shot at anybody, primarily because I wouldn't have missed in the first place. And I hope that one day when they lay me in the ground, people can say he never shot anybody ever. But, but if you come take from me, and at that point, if you'll take my stuff, i got to believe you'll take my life. Mm -hmm. you got to go. And I think everybody should feel that way. And I think that not long ago, America pretty much was that way. And we had much lower crime rates. My wife actually made a sign uh, online, she, this place where you can just order them one off that we're going to put up outside the house. And it says there's, there's nothing here worth dying for, but plenty here worth killing for. Hmm. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, yeah. I, I think it's actually important that I talk about that stuff once in a while, because I talk about all this gardening stuff and stuff that could be seen as like this hippie stuff. <laughs> and to me, growing your food is not a hippie thing. It's a warrior thing. Well, you if know? it is hippie, it's the best part of it. It's you the know? best part of it, definitely. Um, yeah. And I don't care if you're a hippie. I'm, I'm cool with you being a hippie. But, I mean, what inspired me to really get into permaculture, and, you know, four years ago, Brian, I thought permaculture was you planted a tree instead of a head of lettuce. That, that was it. You know, you planted mm -hmm. stuff that came back. That was the whole thing. I had no idea of the design science, and I started looking into it. And I found this video with this old gray-haired man, um, and it was from the 80s. So he's an even older and, old, older and grayer man now named Bill Mollison. And he was talking about how he came up in the world working in both agriculture and timber industry. And he used to cut trees down for a living. And he was sitting around with all these guys. And he said, you know, we're all cutting all these trees down and killing the forest every year so they can build houses. Does anybody on this crew own a house? And the answer was no. Nobody that was cutting the trees owned a house. Hmm. And he thought this was kind of crazy. So he decided he wasn't going to ever cut a tree down again unless he had to for the rest of his life. And he snapped and he went bush hippie. And he went and lived in the forest for five years and learned from the systems in the forest and figured a better way out to grow food and produce resources. And then this is what sold me on the whole thing and made me realize it wasn't a hippie thing. It was a warrior thing. He said, at that point, I could have just stayed there and had a pretty nice life. But I decided I wasn't going to let the bastards roll over everything. I was going to come back and fight the bastards. Hmm. I thought, this guy I can That's get. That's pretty cool. Yeah, right? yeah. 
this guy, this this old man, this old goat, he's got he's got a solution to this. Yeah. And uh, he's a hell of a guy. And... I was never sure about Bill Mollison. I've seen videos, and I wasn't sure if he was quack or, or what. I'm not a permaculturist. He's a so. quack, man. He can. I mean, and as he's gotten older, I think sometimes he says some things where you go, it's just that's how old men are. You know, they, <laughs> they start to combine things that were never combined. But yeah. the reality is that the design science is completely genius mm -hmm. and uh you'll listen to him sometimes in his lectures now and you go okay okay and then he'll say something you're like it'll, it'll completely change the way you view everything from like one sentence and he's, he's still got that um but i think he's kind of he's kind of reached a point where he's at the twilight of his career and he's kind of handing things off to i guess his 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 uh his his first mentor you know his primary okay. mentor or right. not or uh what you call him apprentice uh jeff lawton and I think Lawton is going to take things to a higher level than his his mentor ever did. Oh, great! Yeah, I've heard you mention him before. I never really looked into him though. So he's amazing. He's he's a brilliant, not just in his thinking, but in his teaching. Like Bill, you have to wait to learn. Jeff shoves the learning down your throat. <laughs> you can't up the volume, you know. Yeah. And I love that because. That's how I, I like to be challenged in my learning. I, that's why I didn't do good in school. It was like, give me the textbook. I'll read it. Give me the test next week and leave me alone for the rest of the year. That's how I felt, you know. Yeah. So I like when somebody pushes so much learning, I have to listen to it twice till I get it all. Mm -hmm. And with Jeff, sometimes it's three times, you know. Well, we'll definitely make sure I make, uh, make sure to get a link to him in the show notes for people so they can get the right guy. But You know, one thing I want to get out while I'm on your show yeah. with permaculture is it's not about food. It's a system of design. It applies to everything in life. You can design a business on permaculture principles. You were talking about economies. You can design an economy, an alternative economy on mm -hmm. permaculture principles. You can even design it if you want to figure out how to design an alternative economy and figure out where the transition point is so you can operate within and outside of the economy. It's in the permaculture designer's manual exactly how to do it. <laughs> um, it is so much deeper and I think the reason that everybody thinks it's about food is it's the most – it's the easiest thing to see and witness and have an impact with. Okay. But once you understand the design principles, you start – and you understand the interconnected nature of things. You start to look and you realize that every solution that we need is in the problem itself. And that's permaculture principle. Huh. The problem is the solution. So what's the problem with you know current – educational systems you know what, what's the problem that that's pissing off occupy wall street um the 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 cost of the education is excessive to what it delivers uh the money is given away freely but then you can't ever escape the debt that comes with it and it doesn't result in you becoming employable well i think if we sat down three or four of us and looked at that problem and admitted the problem we could immediately come up with a solution the internet makes information portable. Education should be dirt cheap today, not extremely expensive. Education should be a la carte. People should be able to learn what they actually need. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we did that, people would actually have marketable skill sets. Education needs to be commensurate with experience. So as you're learning, you need to be doing. So in that problem is the entire solution. <laughs> what stops it? Greed and a system built on making the, 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 the person who's supposed to be the beneficiary, the student, into the victim. We're going to use them as a cash cow. Shove the money at them, send them through the system, it's up to them, them to pay it off. 
right? And if, if they don't pay it off, the American taxpayer pays for it, this government-guaranteed loan, mm -hmm. and then the government turns around and sells the loan back to the people that it issued in the first place, and they get paid twice, right? And then the institutions, the, the, the colleges grow and build new buildings and all their other things to give them a bunch of ego, and, and everybody in the system ends up actually victimized by the system. Now, it doesn't mean that nobody does good. It doesn't mean you can't come out of college with a good degree and good skill sets and all, but the vast majority are not. Why? Too many are, too many are going. When I was a kid in high school, not everybody went to college, right? And that's not that long ago. And you know, when my dad was in, maybe 20% of people went. Mm -hmm. It's probably the case that 20 to 30% of people need to go, even belong there. If you send 60 into something that only 20 should be at, you devalue it for everybody. You're going to have a problem there. Yeah, at right. the end, right. What, what, everybody's super, nobody's super? Right? <laughs> right, right. Right? right? I mean, that's, that's what we created. You know, you, God, this all, man, what a mess. It, 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 right? it goes back to my theory. You know, there was the greatest generation, right? Yeah. The very next one was the worst one ever, the baby boomers. <laughs> the worst generation in the history of the planet. I don't know. I think the the greatest generation worked was so goddamn amazing and worked so freaking hard. They never wanted anyone to have to do that again. And, and they, they made screwed it up easy. their kids. They made it too easy. And then they taught their kids, make it easier for your kids. Yes. Go, well, the one thing they told them was go get an education so you don't have to do right. what I did. But guess what? Doing what they did was maybe that was the thing to actually do. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And... And this is all permaculture-esque, the way that you solve the problems, that humans yeah. need to behave like humans. Humans need their connection to the planet. And see, the saving grace for the baby boomers is there was something for them to do with their education. Yeah. Um, the, the World War II generation came back, and they built the highway systems and the infrastructure. Well, then the baby boomers came up with the education and managed it. Well, then what happened when Gen X, Gen Y, and Internet Natives came along? Well, those positions are all full now. Yeah. We don't need any more. So now the, the Gen X maybe got involved in marketing and finance and, and what have you, but then what's left for they're occupying all the positions. Now what's left for you know what's left for why what's left for the gener the, the generation we're calling internet natives the latest ones coming up. It's not that there's no opportunity there, but manufacturing opportunities or anything that involved actually working has been either eliminated or drastic, drastically reduced. Mm -hmm. or taken up by immigrant labor. And I'm not putting the immigrant labor down. I'm just saying that the, the, the kids have been taught that's who should be doing that, not you. Johnny, yeah. for God's sakes, don't, don't go out and work with them. I, I don't think trade schools are what they used to be. Right? Know, how, how many kids are told by their, their parents, and even parents in the baby boomer generation, in my generation, there were contractors and, 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 and electricians and plumbers that actually worked hard? Mm -hmm. Johnny... You don't want to do what your old man did. You go to school and you get good grades so you can have a better job than me. And actually, Johnny's thinking, my dad's the greatest guy in the world. And his dad's telling him, no, I'm not. You know? Causes and, a confusion and a conflict yeah. in a kid's mind, right? Yeah. So then Johnny grows up and they say, don't worry about it. Take the money. Go to school with it. And he does what he's supposed to do and he gets out and people go, you got a college degree. Big whoop. I don't care. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. You have a job for 30 grand a year and the guy goes, I could have got that without a degree. Mm -hmm. Of course. And when you do get a job that requires a degree today, I'm telling you, I know business people that own fairly large companies uh, that I was talking to as all this was going on. 
as a contemporary and saying, why are you requiring a college degree for this job? I knew they're hiring four people. Mm. It's phone reps or something. And they're like, well, there's so many of them out there. I might as well get somebody to prove that they can complete something. They start. Yeah. Right. So they don't even value the it's, degree. It's just the level of weeding people out just to eliminate it, some fraction of the potential candidates. So right? Yeah. It's so much worse than that. They value the compliant nature. Oh, I see. They value just like in elementary school. It's the well-behaved child that's the good child. I mean, correct. You you'll know. show up. You'll do what I say. Yeah. You'll be grateful for your two weeks of vacation. You'll take your three percent raise and smile. Mm-hmm. You'll let me manipulate. You'll do whatever I tell you to. You won't question authority. You've proven you can go through a system like that. Where you know they never wanted to hire somebody like me because I would do great things for them for two years and leave. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm going to go do something else. I've learned all I can from this. Now I'm going to go on. Yeah, well, you would have thrived on the West Coast, though. Their business mentality is that, actually. They jump from company to company, you know? They, they, yeah. they, are, they have a different modality. That's why, like, the pharmaceutical industry is so big, so awesome. Not just, I know they're the evil empire or whatever. Yeah. But as far as getting a job, being employed, and working in, a, in an industry, those tech industry and that, that they expect that. If you perform, you're supposed to also be performing by searching out a better opportunity for yourself. They, you know, they they allow that. Uh, well, a friend of mine it. works. Yeah, a friend of mine works out in that in you know out there in that field. You know, and he said he'd be he would have been he would have been blackballed if he was on the East Coast doing what he does. Sure. You know, he's worked for four companies in I don't know the past five seven years or whatever. But if you but, um, if you're Dupont and you want to capture the cutting edge of what Conagra is doing. You hire Conagra's people, so you know they're going to hire yours, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you have to have that exchange. It's almost like it's almost like spying back in the day with the Soviets and mm-hmm. the Americans, where like, we just kind of both accepted, and every once in a while we'd catch each other's guys and just kind of give them back, and as the, you know, the joke is, as they're going past each other, like, hey, how you doing? Good to see <laughs> you again, you know? Yeah. Like, it was like an accepted, uh, accepted enemy. Like yeah, was, now, unfortunately, that revolving door goes right into the federal government. Exactly. <laughs> the, the regulators and then right back into the corporation. It's like a, a big uh, infinity figure eight. I mean, it's just a... Three places where that's the truest are in agriculture, mm-hmm. um, energy, and uh, drugs. Yeah. Those are your three places where that... And I'm telling you, drugs and agriculture are worse than energy. Far worse. I mean, I'm not saying the energy guys are all a bunch of dudes with halos or anything, but I'm telling you the stuff that the, the, the agricultural people are doing is there is no other word for it than evil. Um, and they know it's not the road to hell being paved with good intentions. Uh, yeah. It's the road to hell being paved with the bodies of people. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They, they, I believe that 100 years ago when this started, it was good intentions. I believe that long ago they figured out it wasn't working, but it makes money, so they keep doing it. Yeah. I thought, who was the guy? Um, um, Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Yeah. I thought he was going to be like a little bit of a change maker, you know, an agent for change in a yeah. positive direction. And oh, God, what a disappointment. I mean, talk about just, well, just a corporate whore. I mean, just, yeah. it's, it's awful. You know, it wouldn't matter because uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was one of one of the secretaries of ag under Clinton. And if you watch the movie The Ro- World According to Monsanto, you see him talking and they're asking him about some of the things that went on under his administration that were wrong. And he said, I knew they were wrong. I didn't want to do them. There was nothing I could do. 
So here's a secretary of agriculture mm-hmm. saying that he can't even rein in his own organization yeah. because everybody's bought. So that, that's what every president would probably say after if you had him, you know, in a personal conversation. I'm sure the president of the United States would say the same thing. There's not a goddamn thing I can do about yeah. any of this. Yeah, and I, but I believe this guy 100% yeah. on this. I mean, he seemed like, like, I don't think he was going to be my best buddy. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah. we couldn't agree on what to do, but there were certain things that we would both go, yeah, that's not right. And, you know, there was just, he wasn't, there was nothing he could do because the organization was bigger than the leader. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where we're at with a lot of things right now. So that's why I focus on the individual. Because I can control what I do. Mm-hmm. You can control what you do. And it's up to us whether we partake of this crap or not. And uh, if you want to get rid of Monsanto, stop eating shit with corn sweetener in it. That's the only thing. If America wanted to get rid of Monsanto's practices tomorrow, if they stopped eating corn and soy tomorrow, not only would they be healthier, we'd get rid of Monsanto. Yeah, They, they would be shit without that. They really would. You know, I mean... You, you could revolutionize so many industries by diet alone. Look at healthcare. You want to talk about, I like the correlation when you were talking about um, permaculture and education. That same thing could be applied to healthcare, where sure. you take care of yourself, you avoid ever entering the healthcare system, and you're going to do yourself a huge favor. You know. But, you know, there are, there are people that think they're well-meaning in our society that run things that would say, but what would happen if all this, this healthcare industry went away? Yeah. Like look at all the jobs you would, you should see Cleveland, the Cleveland clinic. I mean, they are, they're like a virus. It's just spreads and spreads and spreads. They built, you know, the world's largest single purpose healthcare facility in the world in Cleveland. It's their, the Cleveland clinic heart center. It's like, that's because they, they, they have no doubt patients, Forever, they can't heal, cure, and heal. I say that. I shouldn't say that. Yes, they kick ass. You have a heart attack. Go there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. Don't have the goddamn heart attack. Don't get the heart disease. Don't put yourself in that position. I know these things aren't completely avoidable, but you have to give yourself the best chance, right? Well, people think I'm crazy. First thing to reform the healthcare industry: outlaw health insurance. Right? Just get rid of health. No more health insurance. And I say that because we had a time recently where my wife was having some issues with her chest and she thought it might be heart related and it wasn't, but we thought it might be. We went to a cash only clinic. They had her in, in five minutes. They ran an EKG doc checked her out, said, you're fine. Recommended a few things for over the counter. Cause it was a heartburn situation. Cause she, she had kind of shifted more toward my type of diet. And that's what actually caused it. Uh, that initial changeover, And it cost us $63. And we had an EKG done. Wow. $63. Yeah. So that's what healthcare would cost. And I think they gave us a discount. For cash. Because we paid for, like full in cash. Yeah, like they for gave cash us discount, on yeah. that. That's what healthcare would cost. Mm-hmm. Because when you go see the doctor and you see 95 bucks for the visit, the doctor gets $32 mm-hmm. after filing a mountain of paperwork. Well, yeah. if the doctor just took your 30 bucks, he'd be far ahead. So that's the first thing we get. Then we change diet, like you say, on top of it. And and this is the reality. There's going to be a lot of people looking for work, yes, because the industry is going to be smaller. But maybe they could do something productive. We need a lot of food grown if we're going to change. So here's the problem solution, right? Okay, so the, the reason they say we can't switch to this new agricultural model is that there's not enough people to do this type of work. 
Well, if they weren't employed saving people dying from the food, then they would be available to go this do type, this type of work. And believe it or not, it's actually very soulful and fulfill, fulfilling work. It's not miserable, hard work. It's not the Great Depression farmer with his tractor. right? This type of agriculture, you've done it, you know. It's very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, this, and it leads itself in other places as well. I mean, we're not going to go completely agrarian. There is high end, you know, there's the upper tier, the upper echelon that you can also service. You know, there's going to be wealthy people getting wealthier. They sure. need things. Um, avant-garde foods, uh, you know, or um, exotic mushrooms. Sure. There's plenty of potential for some strange things like that. You know, not it's not just being on the tractor, you know, there's, yeah, and, there's so and technology's many... not going away either. Right. I mean, all of the people in my world from the survival mindset that think like one day there'll be this big event and there'll be no technology left are misleading themselves. That genie's not going back in the bottle. If it all failed, we would rebuild it a thousand times faster than we did the first time. Cause now we know what can be done. We have the knowledge and we know how, mm-hmm. right? So the technology is not going away. And what's going to be done in the world of computers and advancements is huge. I'm very excited that I'm still young enough that I'll see much of it before my time's up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's huge opportunity for people to do things other than run a CAT scan machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there is, there's great work to be done in modern medicine. You know, if, if we weren't spending all our time unclogging arteries of patients who ate too much crap, maybe we could actually find a cure for the cancers that we would still have left if we stopped eating eating garbage. Because there's st- it's not like it's not like back in you know 300 years ago before I had all this garbage there was no cancer there was just a lot less. Well, it's just like it's like crime. It's the same thing. If you if you reduce criminal activity and you're not enforcing stupid, useless law, maybe you can focus on the people that are actually harming somebody. So medicine, law enforcement, all these organizations can be smaller and more effective if they weren't doing things that they shouldn't have to be doing in the first place. So it all kind of comes back to this permaculture idea. I think sure. I'm going to have a whole, damn, now I have something to do. <laughs> oh, I thought I was going to get a break. I got to go a whole permaculture education course now. Yeah, I think you'll okay. like Okay. I'll well, take I, that I, on. A couple of the DVDs on the Permaculture Institute site from Lawton would do a lot to really educate you without you having to put out much effort other than buying. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I'll food, let him force feed me. Yeah, the food, the, the, the food forest one, um, the harvesting water one, and the urban one. The urban one's the one you should like buy tomorrow. Okay, right? cool. I mean, urban urban permaculture, it blows you away. It almost makes you want to live, like I live out in the sticks, it almost makes you want to live in an urban environment because you realize some of the inherent advantages that are there, but then you have to deal with somebody like you did, going, you can't have Sean Bales. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I live where I live because I can do whatever the hell I want to. Yeah, there are some advantages there, that's for sure. You know? I'd like to own 80 acres, farm 40 of it, and be surrounded by 40 of forest so nobody can see what I'm doing, not so I can uh, grow pot or anything, mm-hmm. so everybody will leave me the hell alone. Yeah. You know, not bother me. Right, right. You know? Yeah, and feed some people. I mean, the CSA I belong to, we just did the farm tour back in October. It's just a single family, their farm. Yeah. 100 and, what was it, 110 acres? I think he feeds 250 families. Awesome. Yeah. It's all grass-based, you know, grass-based farm. He does it the, the right way, all pastured. and. So he's a he's meat guy then, mostly. Uh, yes, they do very cool. little on the produce end um, because of awesome. space. But they barter, they um, trade. They, they, 
they're actually a, a clearinghouse for all the local farms, but they have to kind of go through his. They got to be doing it right, or he won't use them. You know, that's very cool. It's it's absolutely amazing, and they use technology. All our ordering's done online, and uh, or you know our local weekly pickup, and he's feeding over two hundred fifty families, him and his kids and his wife. See, to me, he's participating in the most sustainable agriculture. That large agriculture, you know, I'm saying, you know, over, you know, bigger than like you or I are going to do on our own. When I say large, I mean 100 acres or so, um, which is meat. Meat yes. is far more sustainable than grain. And, and, you know, we have to grow the grain to feed. No, cows eat grass. Yeah, That's I know. So I, eat, right? I learned a lesson from Rob Wolf. I am no longer going to even enter the argument with a vegan about, yeah. about it because just save your breath, work with people who are on your team. And move forward. I gotta stop getting hunkered down. You are so right. Me, yeah. that is the right the right path. And you just can point to people doing it. Like you say, you can't be dumb. Look at Joel Salatin. Mm-hmm. Right, he makes lots of money doing it. Right, yeah. but his food's mm-hmm. not that expensive. It's not like boutique Kobe beef that's twenty five dollars a pound. Right. You can go buy his ground meat for five bucks a pound. Well, mm-hmm. that. That's that's like going to the store and buying it. Only it's a hell of a lot better quality. We just need more Joel Salons. Yeah, ground beef here's. Uh, I just saw it at the grocery store. It's three sixty nine. The stuff from the farm from our farm is four fifty. There you go. And, right? and it's so much better. And you know who produced your food? Yeah, you can shake his hand. Yeah, I mean, just as an example, um, you buy uh, some ground beef from a grocery store. They say there's potentially thousands of animals of different cows Correct. in one pound of hamburger meat. You're, you're talking about an entire industry ground up in your hands. From there, where I get my meat processed, where they process their meat, it's single, it's single feed, it's single steaks, chunks yep. that could go through here. And what you have in your hands is maybe one or two cows. Sure. So you know you're talking about the essence of quality and freshness and healthy. Have you heard of pink slime? No. Pink slime can make up to 20% of any ground beef product that you buy in a store. And basically, pink slime is this. They take all of the leftovers from a cow when they've scraped all the meat they can off of it. Uh, and it's like stuff that was exposed to uh, broken internal organs and things like that. Stuff that used to go off as renderings to pet food uh, facilities. And some of it still does, but not the meat part, right? So they basically put it in a giant centrifuge and spin it to separate it. And then what's been separated is like loaded with crap like E. coli and other things that are bad for us. So they put it in an ammonia bath, and then after that, they put this other chemical in there to clear the ammonia out so that that doesn't kill you, and then they mix it into your ground meat. So for three sixty nine, you can eat pink slime, yeah. or for four fifty, you can eat cow. Yeah, and, I mean, and I, I learned that on that uh, show that Jamie Oliver had, the Food Revolution. Yeah, yeah. And you look at that, and you just go, "Oh my God!" So, if you guys want to know more about that, look up Pink Slime. Do it on YouTube. You'll find videos on how they make it. And then the other one to look up is Meat Glue. I was just going to say, what about Meat Glue? Oh, They'll build no, you a steak no. made out of whatever the hell they want to make it out of. They glue the cuts of meat together to look like a loin, and then right. they cut it and they right. sell it as a loin cut. That's awesome. I mean, you wouldn't believe that someone would do that. I, I just can't believe someone would do that. Here's the problem. with This is the bigger problem. The glue itself is made from animal product, and it's itself it's not going to harm you. Right. Um, 
it, it's one, the customer's being misled because they think they're buying a solid piece of meat and they're not. And then the other yeah. problem is a health concern. When we cook a steak, the reason we can cook the center of that steak red and not get any kind of danger or damage is the outer part of that meat has been exposed to certain things that we're, we're killing with our cooking. If we take a piece of meat that's glued together mm-hmm. and we don't know and we cook that rare, that piece that used to be exposed and possibly is harboring some contaminants is now being consumed. Yeah. Because yeah. the consumer's been lied to. Yeah. And this stuff is so, uh, so well done that sometimes an expert would look at the cut of meat and never be able to know it was glued together. Yeah, yeah, wow. It's, so, yeah, meat glue and pink slime, man. Google those and <laughs> want to buy local beef. I'm, I'm, I'm sold on uh, not being involved with it, so I'm not even going to look. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I've got... Oh, man, that's crazy. But for some of your listeners that might be yeah, wondering, sure. is it worth the extra buck a pound? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, it's really it's the essence of of moving forward. It's the essence of life is is getting that shit out of your life. I don't, it's like in my family, we don't even open boxes to eat anymore. Yeah, if, boxes if, it, if it came out of a box, I'm probably just going to snatch it from someone's hand and throw it away. I wouldn't even know how it got in the house <laughs> because it's just not food. It's not fuel. I look at everything as fuel. You know, for yeah, I think about my absolutely. children in the morning. Like, okay, I gotta feed. I gotta fuel this kid through the day. What the heck am I gonna put in him? You know? Yeah. And it's not coming out of a box. So. Yeah, part of one of my rules now too is if I'm stirring something, I better have put two things together from two different sources and one of them on water. Mm-hmm. If I'm dumping and stirring something that all came from one envelope. Yeah, right. That's a problem. Yeah, for sure. And almost all the crap food fits that description. It's a box or an envelope. And if you're stirring something you didn't put two different things into, you got to ask your question, what are you stirring? Yeah, right. You don't know. Yeah. Uh, like my wife loves to do a, like a taco salad type thing. Mm-hmm. And we used to use this the taco seasoning. The mix, yeah. Me too. Yep. You, you brown the meat and then yep. you throw that crap yep. in yep. there and you stir it up and it turns into this. Oh, it's so uh, it's it's yeah. awesome! I, oh, it's so salty and so I mean it's it's engineered. It it's to fit our flavor profile, you know. Yeah, there's stuff in there that you would never use. So like last night we made a taco salad and I ground the meat. Uh, first thing I did, I took a cast iron skillet, big old blob of bacon fat in there, mm-hmm. right? Get it all greased up, whole onion, whole whole thing of garlic all chopped up, but not one clove, like a whole bulb, all yeah. the clove chopped up. And it goes cook it down a translucent. Throw the meat in there. Um, some cumin, some uh, chili powder, some paprika, a little bit of salt, and that's taco meat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, that malodextrin, mm-hmm. sodium nitrate, mm-hmm. whatever crap that's in those envelopes, yeah. that's not taco meat. You won't get that in Mexico. If you go to a Mexican village and somebody right. makes you taco, they're not going to tear open an envelope of old El Paso. <laughs> Seriously, come on. Yeah, it, it's just it, like Mama Mia used to make. Come on. Yep. You know? I've come a long way, and it's only been a few years for me. And I just wanted to impress upon people how easy the change is and how oh, much more enjoyable it is to not depend on the box, to not open a cu- cupboard door, but open your refrigerator or freezer. It's a, there's a massive difference, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, part of it is with you know, I would call what I do paleo. And uh, I've been asked by a lot of people, what's the difference between paleo and any other low-carb diet? And my point has always been in other low-carb diets, you keep your carbs to a certain 
point per day or gram per day or whatever, but you eat whatever you want. Mm -hmm. With the paleo outlook, there are certain things that we do not deem as food for humans, and we don't eat them. Yeah, it's a food-based diet, and it's not based on bars and protein bars and whey proteins and powders and chemicals. It's just... it, it's just an education on how to eat uh, it's natural not, foods. So I'm going to go buy light bread yeah. and make my own croutons for my salad to keep my carb count down. I'm just not going to eat the bread yeah, because the bread is wheat and wheat is not human food. And you really helped me out because I was really into, I would call it a paleo lifestyle with a few variances. And, and you were the one that kind of brought Wolf to me. And when I read a book, it put the last seminal thing in it for me. And what I've decided is if I can pick something up in its natural state and eat it, mm-hmm. it's food. Mm-hmm. If I not pick it up in its native state, mm-hmm. it's not food. And I include meat because raw meat tastes good. There's a lot of reasons not to eat it from a health standpoint, but it tastes good. And trust me, our caveman ancestors, when they killed an elk, yeah. they took the stone knife out, and they might have put some away and dried it out and cooked it or whatever, but they sliced a hunk right off, and they went to town on it now if they were hungry. And everything in the paleo lifestyle – that you that's on the eat list, mm-hmm. get picked up in its native state and eat. Yep. Pick up a handful of white wheat. <laughs> try to eat that. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Yeah, I've used I, uh, rye berries for. I make this beverage. I used to called Druvalak. It's a fermented thing that you use with grains. And I tried to eat one of those, and you can't. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I still drink beer, yeah. but I look at it this way: I shouldn't be. But I am, and I'm not going to do everything right, and I know it's – but I also figure if I live my life in the healthiest way I can, mm-hmm. then my body – I mean, look, at, we survive eating this garbage, mm-hmm. and we actually do okay surviving eating this garbage. So if we get rid of 90% of it, our body can handle what's left. Uh, so we all have our guilty pleasures. Some people like chocolate. Some people like beer. Yeah. Whatever it might be. Right. You know? there's, and there's things you can, you can exchange, like, okay – if it's not beer, can you enjoy one NorCal margarita? I can enjoy You know, that Rob. (laughs) (laughs) So something like that. There's always something. I I, I try to stress this. Like, uh, it's so, it's such a bitch sometimes. Like, okay, it's always someone's freaking birthday. It is, I'm trying to explain this to my family. It's not a special day for every house we go to. It's not our special day. Yeah. My kids are not eating a goddamn piece of cake every goddamn house we go in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, 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 it's getting to the point where I'm, I'm sounding like a maniac, but yeah. it's not special anymore, okay? Because we do it all the time. Like, yeah, it's, it's so everywhere So for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, you know, because they're like, I want stuffing and I want potatoes. I'm like, fine, man. I made a big old thing of stuffing, made a big old thing of yeah. potatoes, and I sat down and I ate it too because it's one day. Yeah, eat it, right? enjoy it, and suffer the consequences maybe – even yeah. if it bothers you, it may not at all. And then you move on. Yeah, but you're not going to do that the next Thursday. Right? That was the big thing. If you actually stop making every other day a special occasion and you only do it once in a while, you'll find that a lot of the stuff isn't a big deal anymore. We went to um, Texas Roadhouse with my son a couple weeks ago, and I was really hungry, so I ate a roll. It didn't cause me any grief or problem. <laughs> right, right. You know what I was thinking? <laughs> I didn't really enjoy it. It wasn't... You know, where I used to, like, devour, like, ten I was going to say, this probably just tasted like yeasty foam. Like, it didn't taste just... like I remembered at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think you need, like Rob says, give it 30 days. I think you need, like, 60. Yeah. If you go 60 full days without eating this stuff, it's almost like um, 
Like people, people that stop drinking Coca Cola, mm-hmm. they stop drinking for a week and they have a Coke after a week. They're like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. If yeah. they stop drinking that shit for sixty days, they'll drink a Coke and go, that is the most god awful tasting. Yeah, sweet you got to push it out there pretty far. Yeah. Got to get yeah. the, the addiction mm-hmm. broken because the cigarette smoker doesn't really like the cigarette; they like the nicotine. Mm-hmm. So and the, the, the process. Like, it's yeah. it's the mental process too. It's Correct. The, yeah. You know, and then people get into habits. Like I have my Coke every morning, or I have my coffee every morning, or whatever. Yeah, that's my thing. I mean, people think I'm like some health guru or nut, or I, I'm not. I, I smoke. I'm a smoker. You know, um, but I smoke at night. And it's, you it's, back and stop giving the government your money. I know. I press. There's so <laughs> many things wrong with it. You know. Yeah. And I make up all these little rules for myself after the kids are in bed. Yeah. You know, only at night. And but hey, like you said, guilty pleasures. Unfortunately, I happen to have one that is the most deadly one I could have chosen. Yeah. But anyways, we all have our demons well, and axes. And... You, like you told me to start brewing my own beer again, which I did. Smoke a cigar instead of a cigarette. There you go. Yeah. Seriously, because the tobacco's fermented over time. And it mm-hmm. just, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's good for you. It's yeah. not. But it's not as the higher temperature burn rate of a cigarette and the drier tobacco. And you're going to smoke one. You know, yeah, and I smoke cigars, right? You know, and here's what I'll yeah. say a cigar is healthier than a cigarette because I can smoke a cigar today and then I could not smoke a cigar for four months. And if you're a cigarette smoker, that's a challenge. Cigar smoker, and that's, I mean, I, when I say I smoke cigars, I mean, like, my buddy Brian will come into town and we'll, we'll kill some rum and a cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I might not have another cigar for four or five months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's like it's like vitamin C and stuff. No, <laughs> um, but it just seems less habit forming. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, there's. And you'll inhale less. In that. Uh, uh, yeah, or you'll get sick. <laughs> or it'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> yeah, you inhale a big old macanudo. And uh, I remember one, my one friend was a cigarette smoker. His name was Brian as well. And he was like, I can inhale this. And he, he did. I'm like, dude. <laughs> You're done. You know, it was fine. And I'm like, see, that's a problem that you can do that. Wow, that tells that's you scary. Killed, you've killed your lungs to where they didn't even respond to that. Right. You're not even getting the reflex. Yeah, you should cough. I mean, that's normal. Yeah. No, he did a big old honking, big old Macanudo, man, about a 50 ring gauge uh, Rothschild. And he like, filled his lungs with it and, you know, like coming out his nose and all. Like, <laughs> what an animal. <laughs> your, 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 your entire Maybe he's genetically voice. superior or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's genetically superior. Oh, that's funny. To a chimpanzee. <laughs> Uh, great stuff, Jack. Thanks. Well, man, hey, I've, I've enjoyed being here with you. Um, we're fixing to take off for the for the holiday. We're running a special show we do every Christmas tomorrow, and uh, after that, we're off for a week. And I would recommend anybody out there consider doing that in your life. Um, I always looked at like Christmas and Thanksgiving as stressful times, not happy times, because families get together and people bitch and complain mm-hmm. and argue politics and whatever. But that time between Christmas and New Year's, when everybody goes home, yeah. that's a great time to be off because you can actually be with your family and just relax. Very cool, good advice. Yeah, I'm gonna put this up next Tuesday. Okay. And um, so, if you're working when you hear this, stop. Yes, please <laughs> put down that. Let me go off. Uh, unless it's a hoe. Keep going. Yeah. If you're working hard, that's different. If, yeah. work, if you love what you're doing, keep doing it. If you're working hard, stop. Stop. Yeah. Just, just once in a while. Even if it's one day during that week, just take it off, go home, be with your family. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I wanted before I let you go, I did want to mention your other podcast because you don't really you don't promote it too much on your main show, Five Minutes with Jack. Yep, it's it's really good. Well, thank it's really you. Good. Um, I, I get a lot of business questions on my show, and I don't want to turn it into it's just like I don't want to turn it into the firearm show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to turn it into the business show. So I, I started doing it about a year ago, and I did it for like a month, and then I, we moved, and I, I kind of dropped it and stopped doing it because it wasn't my business. It was you know just this extra thing. Uh-huh. And now I've decided, well, hell, I used to do my show when I had a job driving to work. So now I do five minutes with Jack. It's more like 15 minutes with Jack yeah. on my ride into my office here. And it's, it's really easy, and it doesn't take up a lot of time. And uh, we've got a new forum called the Road to 100K uh, over there. And uh, we've got over 100 members in that already, and I just opened it like last last week. Yeah, and who's the uh, so show? Who's the show for? Who's it? Who, the who, show who, who is did... for anybody that wants to build a business of their own, specifically those that want to use the internet to do it, but not just the internet. So if you were like, uh, I believe if you're in business today, you should have an internet presence. So mm-hmm. anybody that wants a business of their own in reality, but it is a little bit tailored to the person that wants to do things more like I do where I don't actually touch product. Um, I don't actually have to uh, ship anything. I don't have to actually have anybody come see me. Uh, I just do my stuff online. People order online. People get their stuff. Uh, somebody else does it, or it's a soft product. And that's, that's more the, the perfect audience because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. But I would say anybody, even if you had like a fishing guide business or something, yeah. uh, I teach how to build that brand and use the internet to do it. And when you say you teach, I mean, you're serious because you you do this in practice, right? This survival Correct. podcast is your, it, that's what you do, right? I mean, anybody that wanted to compete with me would think I'm an idiot because you could just go to Five Minutes with Jack and learn everything that I did and what worked and what didn't and do it mm-hmm. too. Uh, my belief, though, is that the primary driver of a business is passion. And I don't care if you want to compete with me because you're going to have to love the people that you take care of more than I do. And you're going to have to have more passion for what you do than I do if you're going to beat me. And if you do, I'll still be here and great because I care about my market enough that mm-hmm. it's great that you're there too. Um, so I give it all away. I don't hide anything. And on that show, you can't even buy anything from me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to buy. There's no extra. Now, we, we may do some monetization things with it at some point because you're just dumb not to if you have – thousands of people showing up and you can monetize something in a way that's beneficial to them. Uh, right. But it really wasn't built for that. It was just, I'll answer these questions over here. It was yeah. really the way that it was done. Okay, just to separate the space. And yeah. it gives it great focus because you know what you're getting. It's 15 minutes long and, yeah. and it's it's good. And I, I love the fact that you're not afraid to just take it as far as you want because you're, you're wild on there. Yeah, you know, I go kind of nuts on there. Yeah, I, yeah. Even some of, I'd be like, I'm nuts on my show, but like even some of my own boundaries just go away because I figured if you're an entrepreneur and you're coming for entrepreneurialism, then the gloves come off, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's the real world. If you want to know how to build a business, I can't put any kid gloves on it for you. I've got to make it down and brutal and real for you because that's what it takes to get through that world. Anybody can have a job and do a good job. Not anybody can be an entrepreneur. I believe anybody could be, but most people can't because they won't do what it takes. And that's why I think the passion has to come with it. So, you know, I'll tell you, you know, you're a dumb, you're a dumbass if you do this shit and it's not going to work. Yeah. If you don't like hearing it that way, you know, go find somebody that does it the mother goose way, mm-hmm. uh, but they're probably not going to be as successful. And they're not going to help you be as successful because you're going to get a, the wrong idea about what it really takes. 
because if, if you tell me you don't have time to do your one blog post a day, I'm going to ask you what you're doing between 2 and 2.30 a.m. And if you say, I'm in bed asleep, I'm yeah. saying, no, you have a half hour yeah, there. There's a half hour. There's a half hour. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't time you go to bed. I go to bed at 11.30. Well, then what are you doing between 11.30 and, and midnight? Get it. Talk to kids, get them to bed, and do your one thing. And that's why I want you to be passionate. Because if you're not passionate, you won't do that. Yeah. Right? You won't do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to plan my show uh, at like 11.30 at night after my wife went to bed. I would go sit down and plan my show for the next day. I would write up the blog post to go with it. I would drive to work, do the show on the drive, get into my office, and uh, would edit the show, which took me like 30 seconds, upload it, plug it into the post, hit submit, and in five minutes, I was the show was done for the day because I'd already done the work the day before and used the drive. So when you do that, mm-hmm. and somebody goes, well, I don't really have time, or I have two kids, or whatever, you're like, dude... You can you can give me all the shit you want. There's time enough if it's important enough, right? If, yeah, yeah, right. And the whole point is if you'll do it for a year or two, you'll have more time than you ever did before. And that's why I did an episode recently. What are you going to do with your time when you have it? Because most people don't know. And that was my driver. I knew what I wanted to do with my time. I don't care if I'm ever a multimillionaire. It doesn't matter to me. I have what I really want. I have time freedom now. You actually moved away from the – you were very successful in the corporate world. and Yeah, and I hated it. Okay. Yeah, I hated it. So you it traded really. that all in for the Matic and the... Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> up my, my mountain now, and I live in my mobile home, and people think, you know, dude, you could have more, and yeah, but I have exactly what I want, and maybe one day we do want more. Uh, maybe one day we do want that 80 acres. Maybe one day we do want that SIP panel contru- constructed house or that that earth berm home or whatever, but if we ever get to the point where we decide that's what we want, we'll go buy it outright we won't be in hawk to anybody for it because we live such a, a i would call it a meager lifestyle but such a cost-effective lifestyle mm-hmm. that you know paying the bills is is nothing yeah and that leaves what's called surplus it's mm-hmm. something that americans used to value you know? <laughs> right right yeah very inspirational man um <laughs> your podcast is awesome thank um, you your community is amazing i mean i you <laughs> You were nice enough to have me on the show, and the the comments section just it just blew up. My web traffic went through the roof, um, and like I said, your community's great. And you know, I found you on a goof looking for something, you know, oddball, and it ended up kind of changing me. And I want to thank you for the work you do. Well, thank you. And I, I think it does blow people away when they come on the show as a guest. I've had fairly big names on the show that didn't really know what they were getting into because they'd done radio over and over and over again. They get on a radio station with you know 60,000 listeners or yeah. whatever, and they get a very little bump to that because the guy in the car that hears you in the They don't care. No, they they don't just have the radio on. Yeah, Our people care. Yeah, and They care because the community has been built on the fact that I care. You know, I give a shit about every single person that listens, and I think they know that. And because of that, since it's been built on that, they give a shit about each other. And they know when a guest comes on that that guest is there because I believe that they give a shit too. And if I don't think the guest cares, I won't have them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've had I've had some people I've had to turn away that had good subjects or or had some notoriety, but I didn't think they were in it for the right reasons. And I'm very, very protective of my community. It does like me with the fermentation, you know, it's a it's a big thing for me. It's it's my thing. But my yeah. blogging was not at all. That's just yeah. something I did for for an outlet. Yeah. And now when your web traffic hit me 
and people were coming at me with questions like it was like come on man give me something they wanted some more in return yeah so i kicked my blogging up into gear i stopped reblogging so much of other people's content absolutely found my own i've actually started now writing long pieces actual essays which i never did before i always kept that shit to myself and i'm just kind of freeing up my language my attitude what i'm kind of formulating my thoughts now and also going paleo has helped my brain i I was oh it does help your brain i was pretty fuzzy and foggy i actually do what's called lchf not to change another subject for the ten thousandth subject of this show it's called low carb high fat it's a swedish diet yeah always give a give it a view sometime but anyways that's helped my mind and i'm now writing these longer essays not that they're brilliant but you know doing it is the thing right yep and um Thanks for well, the inspiration, man. Seriously, it's all it's all from that day I did your show, and it, cool. it changed a lot of things for me. That's awesome to hear. And on the high fat thing, I mean, that's probably the one place I differ with Wolf is he's big on the lean cuts of meat. I, I fatty cuts of meat, and I cook with bacon fat and organic yeah. lard and yeah. butter. And I believe that fat should make up a major portion of your diet. Yeah, look up. Well, my best food buddy, <laughs> diet guy, is uh, Dave Asprey. He's the bulletproof okay. executive. Just Google bulletproof exec or bulletproof cool. executive. He's got the bulletproof diet. He's the dude's a pretty badass, and um, he's got it figured out. He's got it dialed in. He's a little crazy on his the toxins that are in food. Yeah, but in mycotoxins, he's just addicted to this subject. But anyways, another some more f- food for thought. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you having me on, and you know maybe we'll do it again sometime. Oh, uh, I hope so. I'd love to. Uh, well, just let me know, man. All right. Thanks again, Jack.
And I'm never, I'm never going home 